Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Natasha Miller isn't your average CEO. She sits at the helm of Entire Productions, the go-to experience design, event, and entertainment production company in San Francisco, and has been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing companies in America for three years in a row. Natasha's passion and commitment to giving back drive her invaluable contributions and participation in numerous charitable organizations. She is also performing as a jazz vocalist and trained classical violinist. What don't you do? Um, Natasha is the proud graduate of Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses, uh, which is a great program, by the way. I know a number of people went through it and uh, has studied entrepreneurship at Harvard Business School and MIT and is a member of the Recording Academy, the Grammys, uh, ASCAP. Uh, SF Travel, and Meeting Professionals International, MPI. She resides in San Francisco, California, where she is a member and on the board of EO Entrepreneurs Organization. Many, you know, pretty much all my listeners know I am an EO member, former board member, former New York president, and fan. So we have a little bit in common. Natasha Miller, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thank you, Corey, and welcome back. <laughs> so, yes, I uh, we were just talking in the pre-show. Uh, I just got uh, back... Um, the other day from Croatia, and uh, Natasha got back a week ago from Italy, so we were both on different sides of the Adriatic um, Sea, uh, and blessed to, blessed to do so. Um, so, Natasha, listen, before we get into, you know, what you do now with, you know, all the events and experience planning and how uh, there are deals in that industry that we're going to talk about, I want to take you back to when you were a little girl growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. Um, what did you want to be? Because my guess is a uh, event and experience planner might not have been it, but who knows? Maybe no, I'm not sure I knew that there was such a thing. Certainly growing up in the middle of the country in Des Moines, Iowa, there weren't very many um, experiences for me to see that that was a, a thing. But what I wanted to do, what I only thought I would ever do would be a performance artist. So a classically mm. trained violinist and a jazz vocalist. And it's what I wanted to do and did do uh, for many, 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 many years. And in a, in a way, I'm, I'm still doing it, but just not at the level that I was doing it before. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, that uh, obviously in your bio, you talked about that. And uh, so that passion for music is still there, huh? Yes. And it serves me well. Um, I'll give you an example, a quick one. I just launched a book, as you know, and... One of the things that I did was a performance gala at the SF MoMA, where not only did I just read excerpts from the book, but I addressed the audience, talked to them, talked with them, and then performed. Yeah, so it it all works out. It all works in my favor still. I love it. I love it. I got to tell you, my my, um, 
my wife comes out of the arts as well, and she's a, a coach and trainer and, and also a professional speaker. And, and she does these performative keynotes where she mixes in, you know, music and poetry. And it really, you know, gives it, uh, I mean, it's, it's fresh for the audience. It gives them something yeah. different. So I, can, I definitely get it. Definitely get it. Um, what was your, looking back one more time, it could have been when you were a kid or older, whatever comes to mind, your first deal of any type. Well, the, okay. The first deal that I did was instead of playing my violin with a string quartet for free uh, for the governor's inauguration, we were paid. And let me tell you, that lit me up. <laughs> wow. I get paid for something I love to do. huh? Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. All right. So listen, we talked in your bio, you know, generally about what you do, but why don't you give us just 30 seconds or a minute on the core, you know, of what you do in the business yep. and who you serve, who your who ideal customers are and, you know, what sure. you do. From. Uh, my core business is Entire Productions. It's an event and entertainment production company based in San Francisco. And we work mostly with the companies that are in our region, Salesforce, Google, Apple, LinkedIn, Adobe, and you can just keep naming them off. And I know I am so lucky to have these all as my everyday clients. Absolutely. Uh, we put on over-the-top, amazing, bold experiences for them that we're trying to drive guest engagement and create like uh, irrational evangelism for their brands. Love it. Love it. I love it. Over the top. Wow. I mean, and I, and I got to tell you, I, you know, I, we've been, I think, moving for years to what they, you know, have called the experience economy, right? Everybody yes. values experiences more, or not everybody, but a lot more people value experiences more than material goods. And I think that was before the pandemic. And now, you know, coming out of the pandemic, when people, you know, really missed, that, you know, that in-person, those experiences that, you know, I, I can only imagine that you must be busy. Yes, things are picking up big time. We knew even late last year that our clients weren't going to do their typical five to 6,000 plus plus person events yes. uh, for a while. And that, that the bread and butter of our business wouldn't come back until third and fourth quarter. And that's happening right now. Yeah. 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 Totally get it. I mean, I, I've just seen it anecdotally, you know, with other organizations I'm involved in and just, you know, I mean, even within the entrepreneurs organization, right. Yeah. Where GLC. so much of our, you know, yeah, it was, it was virtual, you know, last couple of years, like everybody else within my national speakers association community. And uh, yeah, there's this, this um, draw to being connected again. Yes. In a way that's safe and appropriate and everything, all the testing and everything else that people are doing, but, but the, you know, that human connection people are, are really desiring. So, uh, so great. So listen, I mean, so the core businesses, right. You know, you, you get a customer, you put on an amazing event for you that, you know, that for them, they pay you for it. You know, that's much more of what we would look at as, you know, as a sale or a client or relationship, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, which we always say that, you know, and that's what we call organic growth. That's not what the podcast is about. We always say, though, if you're in business, unless you are one of the tiny percentage of companies that's formed to be an acquisition company only, you need to do that well. You need to be able to satisfy your clients. You need to be able to, be able to market to them. Um, but in addition to doing that, and obviously doing that well, as you serve all these amazing uh, clients, uh, household names that we've all heard, um, but you also do deals, right? So talk, talk to us a little bit of what, about what kind of, you know, deals you do uh, and, um, you know, what category they, they fall into. So when our profitable multi-million dollar business went to zero in uh, March of 2020, 
enter panic button. Yes. Um, we had to get scrappy and creative on how we built the company back and saved it. Uh, so I had to lay off half of my team and the, the half that I chose to lay off were the event production planning design side. Mm-hmm. I kept the entertainment production side and really we were able to do over 200 virtual events in 2020 Uh, did as many in 2021. But what started happening was we were getting inquiries for full production. And that means instead of just bringing in a band or a headliner or a bunch of musicians and talent for an event that somebody else was planning, we sometimes are planning from A to Z full production. Mm -hmm. And I don't have that team anymore. Right? right? I laid them off. So what do we do? Do we try to stretch our team to do what they're doing now which is virtual events and booking talent and planning these over the top events or, and this is where the deal comes in. So I had been talking with a, basically a competitor Mm -hmm. in the San Francisco Bay area. We're very lucky here. It is not cutthroat. It's very collaborative. Um, It's not super territorial. So we play very well in the playpen together. Uh, There are other uh, industries and you know, different parts of the country where that is not a thing, but here it is. So I'm talking to a competitor. We will sometimes go up against each other on bids and we're talking about how we can work together. Mm. And so with this other event company and now with others, I'm either bringing them in in a deal to work white label for us, or we work in tandem as a strategic partner Um, There's so many different ways we can do it. Or in the case of this incredible situation, we got called to do, I think it was a $650,000, that was their budget um, team outing in Mexico. Mm. And someone from my team, this was last fall when the new variant was coming through. And we were like, yeah, we don't want to do that. So instead of that strategic partnership or that white label, we kicked the offer over to this other company, they won the bid. And what took us maybe 45 minutes in total or 20 years of growing a business, right? however you want to look at it, we got a check for $12,000 and didn't do anything. That's not true, right? We did something, but you know what I mean. You did something very valuable, but in terms of time involved, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the end client was very happy. Our strategic partner was very happy and we were very happy. Yeah. So, so there's so much in what you said, and I want to start to break it down a little bit. First of all, you casually, I mean, not so casually, but somewhat, you know, you talked about the environment there and, and, and do it, you know, working with a competitor. And that's something we've talked about on this podcast in the past where people, you know, make an assumption, right. That, uh, that there is a, uh, you know, that, oh, competitors, we're not, you know, boy, we're, you know, we're not supposed to, um, you know, they're competitors, right? You know, we're supposed to be either afraid of them or, or you know, uh, you know, doing due diligence or figuring out what they're doing and how to beat them and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, we've raised this many times where there's so many opportunities to do business, quote unquote, with competitors. And I've had people on, I remember, you know, early on, we had Damon Gersh from uh, Maxims, who I had on again later when he sold his company. And, you know, he talked about how he created an industry association of a bunch of his quote unquote competitors 
because there were a few very big players in his industry and, and collaborated, you know, and they got the national contracts and it was tougher to get the national contracts as a regional firm. But when you collaborate with other regional firms, yeah. you know, you can do it. So, so that's, you know, that's one thing you pointed out, which is really good. And then, you know, I want to talk about a couple of these other things. Like, so you mentioned the, the term white label, right? Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that kind of deal looked like? What does it mean to white label? Yeah. So we bring in this team and what we found when we presented to other clients of bringing us in together as a strategic partnership, it was too convoluted. It was too complicated for mm-hmm. the end client to understand yeah. that they weren't paying two whole different, you know, that it wasn't. Yeah, you get it. So I realized the aha moment was, oh, we just need to make it simple for them. And so that means our competitor who's white labeling for us has to tuck their ego in their belts and um, take an email address from our team Mm -hmm. and just act as an extension of our team. And with that relationship that we had built over, you know, the last couple of years and actually the 16 years before, you know, when we were in the industry together, um, it, it all worked out great. And uh, we have another company in Long Beach that we're having do white label with us. And, and it's similar where they're doing a bunch of work that honestly, even with our full production team, we would have outsourced that. Sure. But we're not lying to our, our clients. I think there's a, there is a fine line but because we know these people so well, we've vetted them. We've also worked with them for years, um, not only just been against each other on projects, but have worked with them, that they can be really part of the team. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a lie. Now, if a client said, huh, doesn't that person also work for slash own slash whatever, then the answer is going to be a resounding, oh, yes, yeah. on, on this project and others that we do. We sometimes come together as a team. No question about it. And listen, you know, here's the thing about it that's interesting. These kind of relationships are just much more prevalent these days, right? Because, you know, the traditional models of business where, you know, you had companies that, you know, had a bunch of people in a building integrated and whatever. I mean, and, and, and most clients in most industries are like, it's it's not a big deal anymore. They're sort of used to people having you know, flexible, you know, arrangements, different, different arrangements. And, and, um, and really, yes, I think you pointed out one of the big benefits of white labeling is that, you know, it's not confusing to the client, right? They don't have to sign on with two or three providers. They're signing on with you. They understand your outsourced part of you or a partner or a strategic, you have a strategic alliances that perform some of it, but really they, you know, they, they get, they get one engagement letter, right? For the entire scope, you basically sub out the rest uh, and it's all under your brand. Now, the negatives of that, of course, right, is they that screw it up. That's right. You're, you're accountable and responsible, right? You know, for it. But I think that's that's sort of what goes to keeps the integrity in it as well as you know. And it's not quote unquote lying. Is that you know because it's not like you know you're white labeling and then saying hey they're not you know no they're part of your team. You're under respect, uh, responsible and accountable for the for the quality and you know delivering their of their services. So that's the, that's the potential downside. You know, you don't want to white label with people that you don't, you know, that, that you're worried about or you don't trust. And I think exactly. you, know, you, you know, you said it, right. You had history with these folks. You not only competed against them, but you'd also done, you know, projects before you had the confidence in them that, uh, you know, that, that they would deliver. Um, so you were comfortable with white label, right? Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. And then listen, it sounds like in some situations you haven't white labeled and you can make an argument 
you know, for that side where you can say, hey, you know, I've, I've had situations where, in fact, I do this. Um, you know, I have a, uh, situations in the um, uh, in the investment advisory space, for example, where we partner with some compliance consulting firm. We don't do compliance. We do all the corporate deal contract work. And we don't want to take on the liability of compliance because it's, you know, <laughs> so we actually specifically presented as, hey, we work together with this other firm, but you're going to sign two separate engagements. It's two separate scopes mm-hmm. of work. We're not responsible for their work. They're not, not responsible for others. There are situations in which that can make sense. Sounds like you do some of those as well. Yes. Well, I'm not sure. I don't, I think we attempted to do something like that, except for they weren't going to sign two engagement letters. The agreement was that they were going to funnel everything through us, but work with both teams. And that's where it got Uh complicated and confusing to the end client. And we lost that bid. And so never again, we're not doing that again, right? Because it didn't work. And I don't want to bang our head where we know it's, you know, you know, when I stopped and thought about it, I thought, well, we have two very strong brands and two very well-known brands. How could they turn us down? But now I see from their vantage point, there's that, huh? Why can't entire productions just do this? Why do they need this other team? Or it's going to cost, immediately they're going to think it's going to cost us double. Got it. Yeah. So that's that's powerful because in, in your particular situation, your industry, right, why they didn't need it, it's going to cost a double, why can't they do it on their own? Yeah. So, I mean, you follow the market and that's how you ended up in the white level. Uh, yeah. And in, in other spaces, it does work potentially to do that. I think, mm-hmm. you know, for me, for example, in the legal space, they understand that legal attorney-client privilege stuff is different than consulting stuff. So, you know, it can work. So I think, listen, listeners, uh, I think for you to really either of these models could work or not work in your business uh, and, you know, really to explore them. I mean, I mean um, white labeling, for example, works very often with software developers and things like that, where they'll produce, you know, software behind the scenes that then the company gets the white label. Um, so, you know, you want to really see what applies to your situation. In these white, so as things go forward now, I mean, in theory, right, the economy is coming back, the in-person events are coming back. Um, and, you know, obviously you don't have to share any inside information you don't want to share, but I mean, are these, you know, as you're thinking that these joint, these strategic alliances, these white label arrangements really make sense going forward or, you know, because I do. I there's also there's... an opportunity to step back up if you wanted to, but maybe but it both. makes sense for you. Huh? Let's do it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So my reasoning is, you know, letting go half of my team was something I don't ever want to feel again. Yeah. So I'm going to be cautious in staffing back up, but I'm also going to be um, more strategic about how I staff up and staff up for strategic reasons rather than reaction reasons, right? Oh God, we have two $2 million events coming in. We've got to hire someone. Well, that is really affecting the fabric, the tapestry of our team, um, overhead, you know, benefits, bonuses, tenure, um, and then, of course, the reliance of that paycheck. And I've mostly always had W-2 employees and and rarely 1099 employees. So the thinking right now for me is that we'll continue with the options of the white label, of the strategic alliance, of, of passing off a piece of business that's just perfect for somebody else instead of trying to shoehorn ourselves in. Um, and then also work with freelancers or 1099 contractors and then make the right decision when to bring someone on full-time. Yeah. 
you know, what I'm hearing is it allows you to be more strategic, right? Because now you're not desperate to find somebody to do the work. You always have that white label arrangement. Mm -hmm. So you can make more, let's say, informed and uh, conscious and better hires, right? Uh, right. And we have a handful of companies now that, that we're working with hand in hand. So it's not just reliant yeah. upon one. And we're all getting busy and everybody's staffing up. So I don't know how long it will actually work, but we'll see. And, and yeah, and you, you, you also then mentioned again, a third uh, kind of deal, which you described earlier, which is just a referral, you know, right. Uh, relationship, right? I mean, Where, that was pretty beautiful right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you get paid, you know, yeah. uh, for, the, for, for the referral. And, and listen, you know, it's, it was interesting for me to hear you sort of go back and forth between talking about how really you got paid not to do much in, from one point of view, but the other point of view is, Obviously, you got paid because of, you know, 20 whatever years and right. reputation and relationship and quality and whatever. And that's far from nothing. So we would never have gotten the call in the first place if it hadn't been for a reputation. There's something I want to talk about, Corey, that I haven't brought up. You haven't brought up, but I think is so important. And that is when we became a certified women owned business. Yep. And there are many, you know, there's um, the LGBT uh, minority owned businesses. There's lots of these different certifications. What I learned last year, which was so important for me to know, was that these com companies, there's over 700 of them that have pledged to do this, you know, minority owned business chunk of business, right? I, some of them are like, we pledge to do 20% or 30%. Yes. But what I learned, which is so important in speaking about these deals is that there are some companies that won't even consider us, even though mm -hmm. we're a multi-million dollar company, because we're not, we don't have a $15 million company or a $20 million company. We don't have, you know, that kind of track record. And to be able to go in and say, okay, and, and you know, they're asking for your, your financials, right? Yep. So we can say, okay, this is where we are on this playing field. We have this other strategic partner and the two of us together can handle this $5 million annual project. So a very good other reason to, you know, be in cahoots with your competitors. Yeah, no, that's a great example, right? You know, yeah, there are certain companies, providers, whoever they are that have certain yeah, minimum requirements that alone, right? Yeah, you may not meet. So that totally, totally makes sense. Um, we probably haven't done enough on it. We did a little, probably too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago on women-owned business and, and uh, you know, uh, and minority-owned business uh, space, um, because there is a lot of opportunity in that space. It's, it's a, you know, it could be a complicated game because there's different agencies, different approvals, you know, Section 8A on the Fed and, you know, different you state give, things. I want and, to tell you a secret. Do you want to hear a secret? Please, Yes. This blew my mind. I can't say which company, but one of the leaders of their diversity portal explained to me that, yes, these companies want to do this, but they have not put in the infrastructure to be accountable, to measure, to yep. qualify. And a lot of it just slips right through. And, and having that certif certificate for a lot of businesses, I'll give you an example we work with a lot of, of these businesses and they don't care about our certificate because yeah. they're not incentivized to care at the yeah. level, you know, that are reaching us. So I know that that's for a different podcast, but I thought I would, I would put that in there. 
No, no, no. It's it, it's interesting, and I've seen companies that do very, very well. And then I, frankly, I've seen a lot of folks who get certified, and then they wonder, you know, why they went through all the trouble because it doesn't yeah, really. It pay is off not them. easy. It is. Yeah, yeah. No. It's like an FBI probe on steroids. <laughs> it totally is. But there's also opportunities that come up, and I, um, I have a close friend and colleague. Uh, who was um, very active in this uh, for a while in New York, where they call it the council, it used to be the Minority Supplier Diversity Council uh, in the New York, New Jersey area, but I think there are ones around the country that was specifically set up to help quote unquote majority owned companies and minority owned companies, whether that's minority women owned, you know, uh, to partner together to get contracts at big companies where, yeah. uh, you know, the majority owned companies, um, you know, needed to have a minority owned partner for various reasons, whether it was a corporate you know, policy requirement right. or government requirement, and whether whether the uh, minority-owned, minority women-owned businesses might not have qualified for that contract on their own because they weren't big enough. So there are definitely deal opportunities in in that space if you know how to play, you know how to play that game. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So let's go back and talk about a little bit more about what you what you do. Um, so you mentioned some really, you know, household names, some uh, great big tech companies, uh, clients that uh, that many, many companies out there would love to have. Um, but, you know, do you also work with other companies of different sizes, lesser known, smaller companies, uh, you know, maybe or is it mainly big companies? Well, it's mainly big companies because honestly, there's more revenue, there's more profit. And the reason why there's more profit is because they don't need us to hold their hand or they just let us do what we're experts at doing. Um, The smaller companies, the individuals, they take about four times more time (laughs) from us, right? Because we have to reinvent the wheel for their mind uh, because it's not what they do every day. So we have a lot of startups, law firms, pharma, you know, a lot of big Fortune 500 companies, any company that's venture funded that wants to put on a big old bold blast of a thing, you know, come to us. But again, as a business owner, we want to go for the bigger, easier stuff. Uh, of course, right. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's always the case, right? Or almost always the case with a small clients, all right, yeah, take four times the amount of, uh, of time and usually have one quarter or one tenth of the budget, right? right. So, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's have a little uh, fun. Let's have the audience, like, talk to us about some of the cool events you've done. I mean, uh, you don't have to attribute them if you, if you can or if you can, that's great. But yeah, just, just tell us, you know, yeah. what makes you, you all different? Because we've all been to a million corporate events. Most of them are un, uninspired. Um, well, in so, San Francisco, yeah, we can get away with being very inspired and yes. um, very out there and whimsical and wonderful. You know, ultimately for our clients, we want to find out what the outcome is that they want for their clients, right? Yeah. We're creating irrational loyalty. Um, we're creating, you know, excitement for a new product launch, something like that. And a lot of times the clients can't figure out what their end result is. So we really have to help them with that. But to make an event, wow, amazing. And for people like you or people, you know, in EO or people that have, that are in, you know, C-suite at Google and such, they've seen everything. 
Yep. Right. So how do you appeal to them? How do you get them excited about an event? And it's of course, all the senses you have to have, you have to, you have to have a beautiful venue. Yep. Okay. Or if it's not a beautiful venue, it has to be really wild, weird, and quirky. Like nothing in between that was going to work. Right. right, Um, right. And if it is in between, you have to have decor that is outstanding to, you know, change the scenery. Then you have to have incredible food and and drink. And when I say incredible, I actually don't mean it incredible. You have to, you really have to have good food and beverage it doesn't have to be over the top because there's so much going on. It's yeah. not going to be the one absolute memory that they're having. But, but it can't they, be really, it can't be really, it can't be bad. Right? It can't be bad. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're going to do hot dogs, you can do hot dogs that are amazing. Right. Yep. Yep. So, um, and then there's the entertainment portion, which is our specialty. So our specialty in the event world is our creativity and our bold approach. And I keep saying bold. And what I mean by bold is if you go to entireproductions.com and you look on our site, you'll see what I mean. Some of them, you know, we're painted, we're painting human bodies and letting them walk around mm-hmm. pretty much naked. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are posing with them. We have aerialists dropping down, you know, it's a whole Cirque du Soleil sometimes event. Um, but one of the things that really gets people hooked in is not only seeing and experiencing something they haven't seen before, or they've seen it on TV or a movie, but they haven't seen it in real life, is that experiential interactive situation that they get to participate in that yes. is unusual. So this is totally random, and I don't know why I'm saying it, but um, one of the things that you can do in an event is this like tie-dye dip arm painting. Now it has to be an outdoor venue. Otherwise it's a mess. But if it's a hot summer day, let's say you're at a Google event, then, you know, you've heard the speaker, you've eaten your lunch, you've had a couple of drinks, you've played cornhole. And then um, there's this booth set up where you get to stick your arm in a vat of color and you've got this marbleized sleeve and there's a drying station and there's a, you know, and then you're all running around with painted arms, <laughs> right? That is part of what we do is we make sure that there are moments of what or wow, or are you sure we should be doing that? <laughs> right. So for one of our clients who just sold to, it's funny, they had very sort of verging on naughty themes for their Salesforce conference events because they're all trying a dream force. At night, all the companies are trying to vie for different customers, right, to come to their their events. And so they're always one-upping each other. And this one particular client did a seven deadly sins um, themed event at Uh a premium no-host bar. So people were lined up outside and some of them were leaving in ambulances. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And again, if you go on my website, you can see some of the body painted males, uh, models, aerialists. They're all like, it's just so amazing and over the top. And it did push the envelope a little bit on the sexuality and the, um, you know, and then the next year, the year after they asked for a very sort of naughty studio 54 back room. (laughs) (laughs) 
theme, but then they were acquired by Salesforce and that was the end of their over-the-top requests. Love it. And listen, it's, you know, it's like anything else. And I, I've been to some of these kind of events. I mean, we were down at EO thing and I don't know, I think it was Costa Rica where they had body painted, you know, folks, whatever. And, and like anything else, I mean, especially when you're pushing the edge, they're going to be people who would object to that kind of stuff. But you, you know, I'm sure every company decides what, what they yeah. want to do and what's appropriate what for their, their culture. And, for risk. Yeah. You know, and right. And what their threshold for risk is and yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and that's an important part of the, you know, the matching, you know, that you do. So, uh, yeah. And, and listen, I love, I love the word bold. I mean, as we know, one of EO's values is boldly go. And, uh, and I, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, this concept of once in a lifetime experiences is an EO thing is, you know, as well. And, uh, you know, it's great when, you know, I mean, there's just so much, I, you know, I think for so long, there were so many boundaries in corporate and not that there aren't some still and depending upon industry, certainly, other parts of the country, you right. know, uh, whether values are different or, you know, the, you know, religious concerns, that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but, but for companies that, uh, you know, that have certain cultures and, you know, want to do certain things that, you know, it yeah, could be a lot of fun stuff. It's, it is so much fun. And I love the creative part of, of taking a client's idea or, end goal and then blowing them away with the yeah. ideas and then actually being able to implement them. So how did you get into this, uh, into this business? Uh, give me a little bit of the, yeah. of the journey to, uh, to this well, I never thought I would do it. You know, I was a professional uh, jazz vocalist and classical violinist uh-huh. and it came about because I was getting booked so many times in one night and I didn't want to turn anyone down. Mm. This kind of points to my past, which is what I wrote a book about. Um, I've been on my own since I was 16. So you don't turn down opportunities to make money. And so I think that created the entrepreneur in me. We'll never know if it was natural or nurture by necessity. So I would bring in other groups and manage them. So I'd be playing you know, at one person's event and then three other groups would be playing at the same time all over the Bay area and I'd be raking in the dough. <laughs> so I started an entertainment production company and it just grew into a full event production company, maybe because of the name entire productions makes it sounds like we do it every, you know, right. we do everything <laughs> and saying no to people. No, we don't do that. Just didn't feel right. Love it. So, all right, let's talk about the book a little bit. And in doing so, you know, give us a little bit more of your backstory, because obviously you're super accomplished. You work with these great brands. You build a phenomenal company. And, you know, people who don't know you otherwise uh, certainly may not know uh, your journey, which is not was one that was not uh, where anything was handed to you. Right. Well, no, nothing good was handed to me. Um, Listen, we all have stories in our lives and we've all you know, if you can't get past the age of 35 and not really have been on a hero or heroine's journey, right? Mm. So my book is called Relentless, Homeless Teen to Achieving the Entrepreneur Dream. Mm. And it really walks you through in quite bold, vulnerable, raw, honest, maybe too much, but, um, you know, an account of what happened to me. Mm. And um, so I was treated unwell and that is putting it lightly ended up going to a youth homeless shelter on um, Christmas day when I was 16, staying there for some time, uh, being uh, told I might go to foster care. 
I said, yeah, not happening. Because at the time I was studying with a college professor, uh, the violin. So here I am at a homeless shelter doing something that homeless people don't typically do. So nothing really made sense. Lived on my own. I've lived on my own ever since. And, you know, as we were just saying, I'm not sure if my entrepreneur journey started because of that, or maybe it was my, you know, a natural innate ability. Again, we'll never know. But, you know, I wanted to be a performer and I got to do that. I have seven CDs out. I've produced other work for other people. Some of my music has been on major motion picture films. Um, There have been a couple of producers and directors in Hollywood that have purchased my life rights as an option to turn it into a movie or film. Those have expired. That was, you know, a while back. And now again, with this book, people are coming asking to turn my story into like a limited series or a feature film. Who knows what will happen? Honestly, the most fun I'm having is the idea of it. I don't know if I need it to come to fruition, the movie part. But who knows? Maybe there's a movie deal in your future. You Could never be. know. Could be. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm sure I have not had the opportunity to read the book yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it's very, very inspiring from everything I've read, you know, of your story. Um, and, um, you know, for me, I'm actually a sucker for, you know, one, entrepreneurial journey stories, but and, and then two, just, you know, overcoming the odds, you know, these, uh, whether it is in a movie or, or a show, whatever, what some other people might consider even sappy films or whatever, I get emotional because I'm always inspired by the power of the human spirit and the ability of that we have as human beings to overcome challenges and circumstances that are, you know, um, you're going to like this one. Yeah. So I want to say, I have been surprised that, Um, A lot of men are finding their way to the book and reading it, not just reading it, but voraciously digesting it, Mm. um, saying things like I couldn't put it down or, you know, sending me pictures of underlines and circles and highlights of different passages. And and someone, actually a guy that I'd never met from an EO chapter in um, Arizona, he probably heard about it from another EO member, uh, posted something and he said, this is the book I wish I had the courage to write. Wow. And so what I'm what I'm learning about my story, and, and I just asked somebody else recently who had a man who had not only he he runs a two billion dollar company, right? He's got things to do. Yeah. He's read the book, he then listened to the audible, and when he was interviewing me, it was clear he knew every single thing I had written about, right? Because he's bringing it back up to me. And I said to him, what I just said to you. And I was wondering from his vantage point, why he thought maybe men, because this, you know, I'm a woman just because of that. I think more women are going to get it. Right. And he said, it's not a feminine book. It's not a female story. Mm. And that was his vantage point. And I would like to know what yours is. Mm. I (laughs) I will let you know. It sounds to me like, I think it's a human story when people overcome challenges, obviously there could be things that are, you know, gender specific, whatever, but I don't know. I think anybody who's really open, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by folks of all different backgrounds, uh, you know, who've dealt with circumstances that I, 
been fortunate enough never had to have to deal with, but still the, the ability to rise and overcome is always, you know, inspiring to me. So um, we have to the, keep doing it throughout our whole life. Yes. Yes. yes it's yes. going to keep, you know, it's going to keep happening. So <laughs> in various ways. Yes. Right. No question. Nobody. I remember um, one time in New York, this is many years ago, we did an event that was called something like night of the living dead. And, and it was an event where all the heroes, you know, guy was, Facility in a way where people got really, really, you know, and, and for listeners, EO is a place where people do get really authentic and open and honest, especially within forum and things like that, where it's just, you know, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, peer, peer, learning, really, you know, confidential. Yeah. And, uh, and this, this particular event was really about people sharing their stories and, but not just, you know, like as, as entrepreneurs, we very often share our challenges just as a setup to get to the win right to the hero part to why we're so successful mm-hmm. you know and this event was really about no 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 let's let's stay in that like the real of everything that people went through mm-hmm. and you know it's you know and, and the result of it is that it was just such a connection between everybody in the room because everybody had a story they were all different mm-hmm. right some were you know if you wanted to try to compare and that was not the in fact yeah. it was totally not about that but yeah some some were seemingly more challenging than others but you know, it doesn't matter. Everybody's got, you know, yeah. a, you know, a, a journey and, and people share their darkest, deepest, you know, uh, challenges and nightmares and what they went through in a way that they hadn't before. And it was, you know, it was, it was really, really powerful. So I am. So if people want to get a copy of the book, I yep. all the usual places, uh, all the usual so, places, okay. um, Amazon Audible, I would say, listen, if you're asking me, because the Audible has my music uh, woven through the entire mm. listen, you might want to listen to it. And if you want to really make me smile, I won't know this unless you tell me, but you could buy the book and read it while you're listening. If anybody does that, please let me know because no one has done it to my knowledge. <laughs> I love it. I give the name of the book one more time. Relentless, Homeless Teen to Achieving the Entrepreneur Dream. So folks, definitely pick up the book. And uh in terms of just finding out more information on you and your company uh, yeah. as well, where do people go? My personal website is officialnatashamiller.com. And then if you want to see all the crazy events that we've done, it's entireproductions.com. I love it. My final question on the podcast, Natasha, is always about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, that is means freedom from all people around the world, from oppression to why I'm an entrepreneur, and I haven't had a boss in decades, right? So, you know, it's, it, it means a lot. Uh, what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Freedom for me um, is the epitome of if somebody were to ask me about success, what, what, how do I talk about success? I get to do my creative best all day. Um, I, I basically get to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I love working. I love being creative. I like solutions. So it's all for good. I'm not out buying Birkin bags and riding on, you know, private jets off to Bali to hang out for weeks. Although I kind of wish I could like that, but um, (laughs) I'm a little bit addicted to my job, which encompasses lots of things. So freedom is, you know, not having to worry about money, not having to worry about a house over my head, not worrying about having to have to rely on someone else for my safety, comfort, et cetera, et cetera. Love it. Natasha Miller, thanks for being an amazing guest on the DealQuest podcast. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest. 
where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.